Hi, Susanna. Thank you for coming. Today we have the microbiome room. What happens after taking antibiotics and what's the best way to address that? Hi, Katarina. Hi, Victoria. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm just finishing up at the market. <laughs> oh, yeah, go, go ahead. I'm just sharing the room and setting things up, so <laughs> we still have a few minutes. Great. I just uh, bought some yogurt because I'm trying to keep with the microbiome theme. That's perfect, and I love yogurt. <laughs> yeah, hi Daniel, hi Suzanne, hi Venka. Thank you for coming. Our guest speaker will be here in a few minutes, and today's room is about the gut microbiome, and especially what happens after taking antibiotics and how we can um, address, um, you know, to basically heal our microbiome again. So our researcher is from MIT. Um, so um, yeah, he will be here shortly and thank you everyone for coming. I just PTR'd the yogurt because I think it's so pretty, the package. Oh, it is, that's a nice one. 
I also bought yogurt this week at the farmer's market uh, from a local farm. Oh, it's so uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of, this is a local one too. That's great. I also like, I don't like cow's milk. Like I like yogurt and everything and cheese. I don't like milk milk, but when it's truly fresh milk, like when we used to go to our friend's um, farm in Switzerland to get the real fresh milk, then I loved milk. It's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a difference. What kind of cows? Because, you know, here it's hard. It, like, I know in Europe it's often um, Jersey milk or Guernsey even. Sometimes here it's, it's mostly Holstein milk, but that milk is so much richer. I wonder, do you know what kind of cows they were? What color they were? Uh, they were brown, yeah. like dark brown. Yeah, so they're probably Guernsey cows. The, the Holsteins are black and white. Those are really common here. Yeah, their milk is really like very creamy. It's amazing. And I think it has a lot of microbiome. Like it's it's very good for you, I think, to drink like not pasteurized milk. It it's a completely different taste. It's like it has nothing to do with the pasteurized milk taste, I think. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, it's so rich and it has it has flavor and a scent. It's it's like a milk experience. <laughs> And we used to bring the, so, you know, after a while, uh, I was allowed to help. So, you know, to help out with the cows and other farm related stuff. So we used to bring them up to the mount, to the Alm, uh, up high, up on the mountains, and then bring them back. <laughs> I love that. You brought the cows? You... Yeah, I, oh, I love going there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, uh, we used to go every fall and spring, but then, yeah, but then later on, I don't know if they sold the farm or whatever happened. Then they didn't have a farm anymore. They had like a house and, and close to a city in Switzerland. So that was still nice. But it was not the same thing. <laughs> so we need a field trip. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, I love it. Just the smell, like, it's so good. Okay, I'm gonna go check out now. <laughs> okay. Hi, everyone. We will start in five minutes. Um, thank you for coming, everyone. We will talk about um, Dr. Andres um, Ruiz, he will, he's a researcher at MIT and, uh, and Professor James Collins' lab. Um, and he will talk about his uh, latest paper that he published um, about the gut microbiome and what happens um, after taking antibiotics um, and how, you know, the best, the best way to basically repopulate um, the microbiome 
so we won't have as much risk of uh, inflammation states and and um, having other um, disorders um, related to have a poor gut microbiome so hi Jamie how are you hello everyone How's everyone today? Katharina, Victoria, you both here? Oh, hello. Here. Ha hello, how are you? Hi, Jamie. Hi, Hi Jess. How, how are you? Long time to speak. <laughs> <laughs> A few hours. <laughs> how are you? Uh, sorry, I was quiet for a moment. I was uh, getting the link for the presentation now. We had the paper up so people could look at it. Um, so, yeah, nice. welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for, for having me here. I'm, I'm very happy to, to be here to share our work. Well, yes, we're very, very happy to, uh, to have you here. Andreas, and, 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 yeah, yeah. Andreas, is that correct? Andres, yes. Andres, yes, Andres. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I was saying before I was looking at your paper, um, it's quite exciting. Oops, I just dropped. Sorry, I'm just going to wait for a second. Hello, Andres. Hi, Victoria. Welcome. Nice to meet you. Nice I... to meet you. I like your profile picture that has some yogurt in there. Yes, thank you. I was trying to stick with the theme. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I might change in a bit, but, but for now, I'm a, I'm a beautiful blackberry yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I just had a bit of a spillage hi, there. Jamie. But um, yes, you. Hi, Victoria. Um, your your paper's really really interesting. Um, the engineering biotics. Um, it's quite exciting that the potential for what it is you're doing here, in this paper, it's quite exciting. Yeah, we're we're very excited to you know to move these forward for the benefit of patients because we we really think that there's a, a highly unmet need here uh, that we need to cover. Very, very. Uh, um, 
it's I would say it's preemptive, but it's not before time that we have something that can help from this this issue with um and too you know too many people taking antibiotics and building up immunities to them and things like that. Um, Correct. Out resistance, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was almost going to start asking you questions, but I don't want to get yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's start the room. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, thank you, everyone, for coming to Science Society, and of course, a special thanks to you, uh, Andres. Um, and let me give our audience a little bit of information about you first. Um, so, uh, Dr. Andres is a microbiologist with expertise in synthetic biology and genomics. He uh, received his Bachelor in Science and Master in Science in Microbiology from um, the Un Universidad de los Andes in Bogota, Colombia. And he um, did his PhD in Microbiology at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and um, under the membership of Professor Sally uh, Kishol, um, and uh, for his postdoc, um, Dr. Andres joined the laboratory of Dr. James Collins, where he is right now at MIT, and he um, is applying synthetic biology approaches to endow bacteria with diagnostic and therapeutic capabilities. And he's uh, developing an, an engineered life biotherapeutic platform that targets the gut microbiota for the prevention and treatment of human disease. At the WIS, um, Andreas leads a WIS validation project aiming at using the, this platform, this engineered life biotherapeutic platform um, for the prevention of antibiotic induced dysbiosis and its associated pathologies. So thank you so much for coming and um, Victoria will ask you a more general question first and then the stage is yours for the presentation. Thank you. Thank you Katerina for the introduction. Yeah, thank you, Katarina, and um, welcome, Andres. We are so happy to have you to carry us into the, um, the body of your talk. It's really nice to hear a little bit about you. And so if I have a brief, a question that can just have a brief answer, if that's okay with you, um, if you can give us a bit of information about when, when you first noticed that you felt a particular connection to science. And, and thinking back into your life, it could be in your childhood or, or even sometime during your schooling. But if, you, if there was a moment that you felt like you noticed that science was something that was really um, something you carried an affinity for, that's my question. Yeah, I think it's uh, truly for, for most scientists that this happens during childhood. And in this case, my connection to science and to biology in particular was when I grew growing up. You know, I, I grew up uh, near Bogota in a, in a farm. Or my family has a farm, so I was surrounded by nature. And, and you know, I saw like a lot of transformations happening in, 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 in the fields, you know, like plants decomposing and I didn't know how to, why was that happening, why they were disappearing. And, 
and you know and, and and starting to think about like these type of transformations that happen around us that are somehow like magic that um are mediated by microorganisms and, and this is when i discovered microbiology and then you know i was fascinated how things that we cannot see can actually transform our environment and have an effect on, on our lives that was like my my moment when i discovered my passion my gosh thank you so much it's it's fascinating to hear um, when people's answers are associated with play you know with with um, non-directed activities and you had that experience and also how rich nature is and how much of an education nature can provide for us if we're just you know set free there so thank you so much for your answer and at this point you're welcome to to step in to uh, deliver your um, the work that you're here to share and at the end if that's okay with you then we can have a brief Q&A so um, relax and enjoy and we have the the um, you know the PDF pinned at the top so Andres the mic is yours thank you Victoria so uh, this is informal and, and please feel free to ask questions at any point uh, during this conversation um, just to follow up on, on what I was saying about uh, the, the role of microbes in, in the world and why it fascinates me for my PhD, I, I, I was studying microbes that live in the ocean, and it was very interesting to see how their their activity, their metabolic activity in the ocean, basically controls the biogeochemical cycles. Like, you know, they are of course in charge of producing oxygen, consuming CO2. There is a, a bunch of nitrogen, phosphorus cycles that happen there, and they have a huge impact on our lives. And after I finished that. Um, research I, I wanted to turn into more into us as, as human beings and and seeing how microbes uh, would affect our our functioning our bodily functions and, and this is when I started to read about the the microbes that live inside and on us and they're called the, the microbiotities um, tremendous amount of, of diverse microbes that that we harbor and and how important they are for us. And this is when I discovered that actually, you know, that these microbes uh, are not regarded only as, you know, living beings that are inside us or on us that just happen to be there, but actually that we have co-evolved with them. Our bodies have uh, used them uh, over evolutionary times to basically outsource many functions to the point that uh, we consider now uh, them as, a, as, a, as another organ, as a, so, for example, a liver or, you know, lungs, they are accomplishing functions important, uh, such as, such as uh, any or other organ in, the, in, the, in our system. So, to me, it was incredible to see that, you know, given the importance that we have seen in those, and if you go to the slides uh, that they have provided, probably the second slide, you know, our microbiota, the studies that have emerged in the last, I would say, 15 years, uh, first on, on association studies and then more mechanistic studies, have revealed that, that our microbiota, a diverse group of microbes that live inside us, uh, really accomplish important functions. For example, pathogen exclusion, they prevent that they um, uh, invading uh, pathogenic bacteria would colonize our guts. They are also important uh, for newborns and infants 
for their immune system maturation and the functioning of the of the immune system and as well they intersect with other systems in our body not just the digestive but also like the gut brain axis and many others so it is true that um these microbes are really important to us and the problem that i saw here is that um that people uh, or have realized before as well is that certain types of of, of lifestyle choices in, in our modern life can really hurt these uh, microbes that really in there specifically i'm talking about medications and diets a particular type of diets that can uh, reduce the diversity that we have in there and change the balance that we have uh, nurtured throughout our lives uh, in, in our guts and and this is what we call dysbiosis. Once uh, this group of microbes, their population shift and their metabolic capacities change due to the action of medications or the diet, uh, it becomes dysbiotic. That is a, an unbalanced state. And in that state, the microbiota is, um, the gut is more susceptible to diseases. For example, opportunistic infections. You have heard about Clostridioides difficile, which is a very common hospital acquired infection. But it also, in the long term, uh, predisposes you to higher risk of uh, developing inflammatory or metabolic diseases. And even uh, some dysbiotic states can affect how well you might respond to, for example, some types of, of cancer treatments. So it's really important to preserve this composition that we nurture throughout our lives from the beginning that, that, that we, we are born without any microbes in, in, in our gut and, and we start eating. We have to we collect them and, and we create a, a very personalized collection of microbes inside us so um seeing the importance of these microbes i i i wanted to to see if, if there is a, a possibility that we could protect this important group of of microbes uh when we take antibiotics and the reason is that antibiotics cannot differentiate between good and bad bacteria right the mechanism of action of antibiotics work the same for a pathogenic bacteria that is causing an infection and for a commensal bacteria that lives in in your cup and the reason is because once you take the antibiotic and the antibiotic goes into circulation in your body um it eventually will reach the the, the gut uh, through biliary excretion, and then the, the microbes will be exposed to the antibiotic and it's going to induce this, this biosis state. And as you know as well, you know, the, it's not only the microbes that you kill that are, uh, uh, are, are important, but also the ones that survive, because the, the ones that survive are the ones that can withstand the action of the antibiotic. So we're selecting for antibiotic resistance every time we take an antibiotic in our guts. Um, and you have heard about these, you know, like antibiotics are life-saving medicines and we still have to use them. And in no way I'm saying that antibiotics are, are, are bad for you, they are necessary medicines. And But what I'm saying is that we have to do better uh, in making them more safe and safer uh, every time that, that we take an antibiotic. And the reason is that for most of the infections that a, a doctor prescribes, there is no need to have the antibiotic action in the gut, right? If you have an ear infection or if you have pneumonia uh, or if you have a, a urinary tract infection, there is no need for, for the gut microbes to die because of the action of the antibiotic. So that's why we created um, a strategy using 
engineered like biotherapeutics to uh, protect the gut. So that's our uh, slide number four there, uh, if you want to have a sense of, of what might be happening. So doctors in the scientific community realize that this is a problem, but they haven't found a, a real effective way of, of preventing these damage to the gut microbes. Uh, usually probiotics, you know, fermented uh, bacteria that are isolated from, from foods um, are prescribed with the antibiotics or after the antibiotics. But the reality is that they have no capacity of protecting the native microbes. And in fact, there are some studies that say that um, they might uh, delay the recovery of the microbiota after the antibiotic treatment. The delay of, 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 the, of the native microbes, the indigenous populations that, that we need in there. And, uh, but overall, you know, uh, they have shown like moderate efficacy and, and empirically there is some signals that say that they are safe. And, and, and a good platform to use, you know, to improve uh, what we can do to protect the gut microbiota. And this is exactly what we, we did. We used synthetic biology approaches um, to endow these um, bacteria, these probiotic bacteria, with the capacity of protecting the other microbes in the gut from the action of the antibiotic. So the idea is that whenever you need to take an antibiotic, at the same time, you can take a pill that contains these uh, engineered live biotherapeutics, this is how we call them. So they would populate the gut and they would perform uh, uh, localized degradation of the antibiotic in your gut, protecting the, the good microbes uh, that live inside of your intestinal tract while the antibiotic circulates in, the, in your body um, clearing the infection that you need, for example, for an ear infection, for the pneumonia, even prophylactically if you need to take them. Of course, if the infection that is happening in the first place uh, happens in the gut, you wouldn't use this uh, protective intervention because you need to clear out the gut uh, from an infecting pathogen. So this, is, this application is for every time that we would need um, to treat a patient that doesn't have any gut infection. So at the end, uh, uh, for those instances, you can end with an intact gut microbiota. Um, so, as you can, as you know, there are different classes and different mechanisms of actions of antibiotics, and everyone act uh, a little differently. So, so we wanted to focus first on on one group of, of antibiotics to start with, and we decided to go after beta lactams or most people know them as penicillin. It's a, it's, a, it's a structural class of antibiotics that are the most relevant in the clinic. They make up up to 65% of the antibiotic used in the United States, and they amount to all, more than 150 millions of, of prescriptions in the U.S. And within these groups, we have the penicillin, cephalosporins, and carbapenems, which are like incredibly life-saving medicines. So we have to, to make them safer for for the patients and, and for everyone. So um, the key challenge here is that if you're gonna make a, a, a probiotic, a bacterium, express an enzyme that can degrade uh, an antibiotic, you have to do it in a safe way because normally those enzymes are present in uh, bacteria that are resistant to the antibiotic. This is where we find them. They have evolved a way of surviving these antibiotics. And, 
Uh, usually these are pathogenic bacteria, or most notably they are uh, pathogenic bacteria, although they can be present in commensals as well. And the way they work is that this enzyme called beta-lactamase that is capable of breaking down uh, these penicillins, the, it sits in the, in the cell wall of the, of the bacteria and it degrades the antibiotic as it comes to the cell to bind to its target. So this confers antibiotic resistance and because of this great selective advantage that they confer, they are easily spread uh, through horizontal gene transfer, right? So that's why we're seeing more and more reports that like a new pathogen acquire a, a resistance mechanism that now is makes it resistant to uh, uh, last uh, resort antibiotics like carbapenem. So it is a huge problem. And of course, if we're gonna put it in, in, in a probiotic bacterium, we want to make sure that we're not gonna keep spreading this capacity of degrading antibiotics to other microbes that, that we don't want them to have. So that's why we utilize this synthetic biology approach, which is basically using engineering principles to uh, take pieces of of of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, genes of of DNA and assemble them in a way uh, that would confer a new function in a, that works in a particular way in a in a bacterial cell. So in this way, we created a, an engineered uh, live biotherapeutic that instead of uh, degrading the enzymes in their cell wall, they do it in the extracellular environment. Basically, they secrete the enzyme to the, to the uh, outside environment. So it will be for the benefit of the whole microbial community. It's basically a public good. And at the same time, it doesn't confer beta-lactam resistance to the producer uh, microorganism. It is still sensitive to the antibiotic and the survival is depending on, on the cell density. And at the same time, we uh, came up with an idea on how we could encode this gene in a way that it would not be transferred to other bacteria in the microbiota, specifically to pathogens. And um, these um, um, biosynthetic uh, refactoring of the beta-lactamase is what makes it safe um, and, and, and makes us confident that we're not gonna be spreading this trait to other bacteria. And, and basically the reason is that uh, it would be invisible to natural selection. This is a trait that can only be selected under specific laboratory conditions and under the natural environment, there is not enough selective pressure for it to be advantageous in another cell. So this is the, the gist of, of, of the idea of how we can make it contained uh, within our particular um, group of, of organisms and not transferable to anyone. So with these uh, set of safeguards in place, we wanted to actually see if by producing this enzyme through, uh, let's call it probiotic strain in the gut, we would be able to, to get the effect that we want. And, and the effect is that we could treat uh, a patient and uh, after the treatment, uh, the patient would have an intact uh, gut microbiota, despite the fact that the uh, antibiotic was circulating in the rest of, of the body. So we used the mouse model for that. And this is what we published in uh, uh, recently, a, a couple of months ago in, in the journal Nature Biomedical Engineering, where we uh, did a, a proof of concept in a preclinical model uh, of, of mouse where we show that actually our engineered bacteria has a, 
uh, antibiotic degrading capacity in the mouse gut that you can see the degradation of the antibiotic specifically in the gut and it does not change the concentration of the antibiotic that is circulating in the blood which is um, absolutely uh, necessary to maintain the efficacy of, of the treatment of the antibiotic that you are prescribing to a patient. And then through DNA sequencing, uh, we show that it can preserve the diversity of these microbiota. It maintains the, the initial structure. And importantly, as I, as I was mentioning before, it, it prevents the enrichment of new antimicrobial resistance genes in the gut, uh, which is very important you know, to curb uh, the emergence of, of new variants uh, that could be resistant to, to these antibiotics. So that at the, at the DNA level, we could detect. And then we wanted to see um, more on, 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 a, on a clinical readout, how uh, you could um, see these on, on a, what, how these would be useful for in a clinical setting. So, so we decided to test um, if this intervention could maintain one of these functions of the microbiota that is the colonization resistance. So what we did is we uh, treated the antibiotic with uh, the, the mouse uh, with the antibiotic, and at the same time we provided this protective intervention, and then we challenged them uh, with uh, with the pathogen CDPCL. And we saw that the ones that received the protective intervention had a microbiota that was uh, healthy and diverse enough that could uh, keep excluding the, the the pathogen from the gut and we didn't see any infection, while the ones that received uh, a normal control um, uh, lactococcus lactis, which is the, the, the probiotic that we have been using, uh, did have a, a complete uh, infection there. So this speaks as well that the, the normal uh, wild-type uh, probiotics that we use like, do not actually protect against uh, a possible C. difficile infection. So it was very nice to see that that we had this 100% response in this uh, preclinical model. And now we're looking to, to translate these um, uh, findings you know, for humans by conducting uh, uh, more experiments and, and, and then going to human clinical trials for that. So this is, this is what we have done. And uh, before I, I stop, so, so we can have more of a conversation, I just wanna say, you know, like if you're looking at the slides, the last slide that I have in there is that we have to start thinking about the microbiota and protect it like we, we protect other major organs. You know, um, if you go to the sun, you know, on a, on a, on a uh, weekend to the beach, like you're going to put on sunscreen to your skin, right? Because you know that it can harm you, even though the effects you're not going to see immediately. The same, we know that whenever we go to um, have some x-rays, we're going to cover the rest of the body where the x-ray is not needed. So we prevented the damage of the ionizing radiation that the machine can give you, right? And in the same time, in the same uh, uh, fashion, we, we should be thinking about protecting our gut microbes from the action of the antibiotic. Uh, they are so important and so many consequences can arise from these dysbiotic states that uh, it is truly important that uh, we, we make them safer for, for every patient that needs them. So uh, I'm gonna stop there and uh, happy to answer any questions or, or comments that, that people might have in the room. 
thank you so much for this great presentation and for um, sharing this uh, very important research with us. Uh, yeah, it's uh, thank you for also spreading the awareness how important it is to protect our microbiome and um, yeah, this is uh, amazing work and an amazing talk. So uh, I saw that Eli, you had a question, go ahead. Uh, no, actually no question. I came a little too late to, to ask intelligent questions. So uh, yeah, maybe just a question for uh, the general, you know, for everyone here that uh, might be interesting. So um, you mentioned um, that maybe, you know, usually people um, give or doctors now give when they prescribe antibiotics also, um, uh, you know, probiotics, prebiotics. Um, but you mentioned that it's probably, it's not really known if that's a good idea because that's, that doesn't reflect the variety we used to have. So um, do you recommend not doing that acutely or uh, until we have a better option doing that? Or what, what, what would you say? I, I, I'm not a, a medical doctor, so I, I, can, I cannot give like any formal recommendation. But, you know, uh, I'm not saying that they are like absolutely not, not, not uh, efficacious in, in that. You know, there's, there is some help in that and there's a, a debate whether if it's better to have a probiotic in there, you know, that you're consuming or or just leave the gut open for for any other bacteria to come and colonize that it could be a pathogen, right? Uh, what is true, and you mentioned uh, uh, prebiotics, it's important that my, my recommendation uh, uh, until we have a, an effective way of actually degrading the antibiotics in the gut so, so you don't lose initial diversity is that through your diet, uh, during and especially after the antibiotic treatment, uh, you can nurture those microbes back and you can do it uh, faster. So if you consume uh, lots of uh, plant fibers, you know, fermented food products that would contain, you know, important bacteria in there that you have a diverse diet, you know, that is free of uh, uh, highly processed foods, you know, this would be a, a way of, of bouncing back from that loss of diversity. Of course, it's gonna take some time and, and it depends on the person. Some studies show that uh, it can take a few weeks for some people, but for some others, it can take months or years before they, they reach the levels that they were before the antibiotic treatment. So that's why we, we want to prevent that loss in, in the first place. Okay, so I, I actually do have uh, a decent question for you. Um, so how do you ensure that uh, the resistance genes that uh, you're, you're introducing uh, don't get remobilized to other uh, organisms that happen to be in the gut, say, by uh, uh, plasmid transduction or bacteriophage transduction? Absolutely, that's a that's a great question, and this is at the core of the safety of this technology. So, what we have created are, are called um, engineered evolutionary safeguards, and, and our approach is that we have split the gene into fragments, right? And the 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 
the result of this splitting is that not that it's harder to find the two pieces of the of the DNA because eventually those two pieces can jump into the same bacterium, the unwanted bacterium, as, as you're mentioning, to a process called horizontal gene transfer that is what you, you're referring to. The effect of splitting the, the, the gene into halves is more like, let's, if, let's consider that the, the beta-lactamase is a, is a shield, it's a, it's, a, it's a tool that other, you don't want other bacteria to use. So when you split them, if other bacteria pick it up, they don't know that this is a, a, a shield, right? So, and, and they don't have the instructions on how to assemble it and how to use it. So through natural selection, this trait won't be advantages for, for these bacteria because they don't have the time or the, or the means of, to make it useful. This is, this is the, the concept behind it. Basically, these fragments, since bacteria cannot know exactly what they, are, what they encode, they are basically invisible to them. This is our, our approach to prevent uh, these horizontal gene transfer. Thank you very much for an amazing talk. That's uh, such a clever um, solution for this. My, my question to you is um, when you're uh, dealing with this, protecting the, the, the gut bacteria in the body, how effective is this going to be to protect it from, uh, or, or going to slow down like resistance buildup? Um, is it complete or is it only like a, a percentage? Like if somebody had to take biotics later on, um, would they be forever like immune to the negative effects? That's that's a great question. So in here, what we're preventing is that we're gonna generate new variants uh, of genes that would target uh, antibiotics that uh, we currently use in the clinic and that the frequency that we see those genes in the, in the environment is gonna be less. It's not gonna actually prevent the, in the the emergence of resistance in a pathogenic group of bacteria that you're treating. If you think about it, there are like two two mechanisms by which uh, a, a bacterium can re, can acquire uh, uh, a mechanism uh, that confers resistance to the antibiotic. The first one is if you're a pathogen and you're exposed to to the antibiotic, you can um, you know generate some mutations that are gonna make you uh, uh, not sensitive anymore to, to the antibiotic. The other way the bacteria acquire uh, these, these mechanisms is what we were talking about with um, Ely, is that um, you can transfer genes horizontal from one bacterium to another, not from mother to sister, but from, you know, neighbors in, in, in the gut. That, that is what is called uh, horizontal gene transfer. And in this case, it, it is possible since commensal or commensals also encode these mechanisms of persistence. If you apply enough selective pressure to these populations, eventually you're gonna select for one that is resistant to the antibiotics. And then since microbes, the, the genes in the microbiome is basically a network, they can transfer these one to another and they can land in a, in a, in a pathogenic bacteria. So with our intervention, we are suppressing uh, these unnecessary selective pressure on the commensal bacteria of the gut. 
And in this way, um, we can reduce the rate at which uh, we, we would observe the emergence of this new antimicrobial resistance. It is, a, it is an indirect mechanism that, that is important to address. Fascinating, thank you very much. Um, hi everyone, uh, Heidi, Nissan, and then Dr. Shah and Serena. So we have uh, 13 minutes left. So um, if, um, to one question and uh, so we can get to everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, I, I had a question related to uh, the fact that you know, there's certain bacteria like H. pylori, which are found in in amongst a lot of people, and they usually do not give any problems, but sometimes they do to people. And so, and and then they uh, they are targeted, right, uh, for people who have problems, and they give an antibiotics. But have you also found that maybe some of the bacteria that are targeted actually have um, certain other maybe, um, you know, factors which, which may not, you know, <clears throat> where you don't really want to destroy the bacteria completely because they have been sort of cohabiting in the human body for large populations over a very long time. So do they have any, maybe they have some preventive uh, factors or or things of that nature. But usually the treatment just tries to, I think, get rid of them. Any comments would be great. Yeah, I, I think that uh, this is an important point. And, and what you might be referring is to what we call pathobionts. So a pathobiont is a bacteria that normally uh, would be inside you and under certain conditions, it, it is not gonna cause any disease. But if those conditions change, then what it was supposed to be there in a safe way now becomes a bacteria that is problematic and that can give you, you know, a, an infection and or, or some other uh, health issue. For example, H. pylori can be like under some conditions, those populations can uh, expand, and if you're susceptible uh, in, in your genetic profile, you know, it can lead up to cancer. So uh, that's why it is important, you know, that with this approach, uh, specifically for, for gut uh, pathobionts, we maintain the conditions as much as possible within the, within the gut environment. So when you take the antibiotic, it's going to wreak havoc in there, and it's going to unbalance all the populations. And Sometimes it can create the, the right environment, so these um, uh, pathobiont uh, populations can expand and, and be dangerous as well. Like that's the case, for example, of Enterococcus bacteria. Enterococci are usually present in the gut microbiota, but under certain conditions they can expand and cause uh, infections as well. So that's why with this approach we want to uh, maintain these compositions and do not perturb uh, these conditions that are very sensitive to those changes. That is a, is a good point, yes. Thank you so uh, much, Nissan. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, um, my question is, how do we know if a person's bacterial composition in their gut is good or not? 
like what are some ways that this is managed? Do we look at uh, if the bacteria is producing nutrients or enzymes? Do we measure that uh, from a sample or from their blood? Like what are some ways that that we can tell if the person has good gut bacteria? That is that is a wonderful question, and you get to a, a really good point there. Um, we there is we have not been able to come up with a definition of what is a healthy microbiome, what is a composition that that is uh, healthy for everyone. And the reason is because there's so much variability between different people because of their diets, because of their genetics, because of the environment that uh, really, really changes the composition of, of, of the microbes that we have in there. There are some core functions that we know that are important for for a healthy status, uh, um, for example, the production of short-chain short fatty acids and the production of secondary bile salts are two, I think, important functions that now mechanistically we understand that must be present in there. But in general, the picture that emerges from all these studies that uh, studying like different uh, cohorts of, for example, healthy versus disease patients is that uh, in healthy people, you see diverse group of microbes, you know, like the diversity as, 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 uh, as a measure of uh, how many different taxonomic groups you find in the gut is what really correlates to a healthy status. People that have less diverse uh, gut microbiota are usually uh, correlated with, with disease status. The, the question there is always, you know, what came first, the dysbiosis, this loss of diversity or the disease, you know, or is the disease inducing this dysbiosis? So it's a two-way road there that is still hard to define, but but you touch upon there uh, a, a good point. And uh, in our approach, that is also important because, you know, for, for most of people, they have a, a composition that is defined and it's specific for them. And for most of people, it works fine. So we're trying to keep it that way, not changing any way, you know, just, you know, try to keep it this way by protecting them from, from antibiotics. Okay, thank you. Can I ask so, another quick question? Oh, sorry, please. please. Sorry, Dr. Shah, yeah, please. Yeah, we have yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Dr. Shah, Serena, David, and Ripley. And we have around five minutes left, so please go ahead. So first of all, thank you so much. And I had no time to, I mean, attending earlier so my question from the i mean uh, is about the facing or increasing the prevalence of the antibiotic resistance for the tuberculosis and uh, i was just wondering do you have further information around that especially about the immunotherapy i mean we know that some of the patients they are struggling with this side and i know that there is some researchers recently develop around the tuberculosis and the effect of that in the immunotherapy for the patient who needed the immunotherapy. So I was just wondering, do you have further information to share with us or not? Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I think it's um, the, the emergence of, of, of antimicrobial resistance, you know, is directly related to the antimicrobial use. You know, the more you use the antibiotic, the, the bigger the chances to uh, increase the resistance. And this happens to infections of the skin, you know, the lungs as tuberculosis, as you were saying, as well as uh, boxing other sides of the body. 
uh, you point out about immunotherapy and uh, uh, I think one, one if, if I have the connection right, is that uh, one thing that we have seen that is very important, you know, to respond to, to medical treatments is that your, your gut microbes, you know, um, really control the, the, your uh, immune phenotype, your systemic immune phenotype. So if you have the right group of microbes in, in your gut and, and they are stimulating uh, the epithelial cells and the mucosa in, in the right way, you can have better response to um, uh, uh, medical treatments. Uh, this is very well known for cancer, but now people are um, coming up with, with, with uh, clever studies that, that really connect the gut with different uh, systems of the body, with different organs. And one of those is uh, the lung. So I, 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 I would think that there might be a connection on how, if you have a healthy gut microbiota, maybe you're better at clearing out uh, uh, tuberculosis infections or, or maybe creating a better environment to create um, um, a granuloma that would contain the, the infection more efficiently. So it is related to that, yes. I hope that the answer your questions. I don't know. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, uh, thank you for for this talk, I came late, so I'm going to yield my time. Maybe Gilbert or Grepley have questions. Thank you, though. Thank you. Do you have Can any I just questions, quickly... uh, Gilbert, Grepley? Okay, Gilbert. Go ahead, yeah. if you do. Uh, okay. Jamie, one question, and then Serena has one question, and then they're closing. Thank okay. you. I was just going to ask, and um, this is a total, um, like, um, I, like, I don't know very much about this, but when you mentioned the uh, like, like, uh, like, uh, anyway, the bacteria you're working on, sorry, I forgot the word. Um, does this, will this in any way affect people that are lactose intolerant, or will use a different bacteria, or is it any way connected to that at all? Um, it, it, in this case, um, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. The, the 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 name of the bacterium is Lactococcus lactis, but it, it doesn't have to be fed uh, lactose to 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 grow. So it is it is metabolically active in the gut, but but it doesn't require lactose. So there, there wouldn't be any uh, interactions with with that for lactose intolerant people. That that is not okay. quite an issue. Thank you very much for indulging my question. <laughs> sure, no problem. Yeah, Leslie, uh, you want to ask something? Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure this is in the form of a question, but um, I, I'm just, I, I just really like the approach of protecting the microbiome that we have because. Uh, I, I was just curious on your thoughts uh, about the FDA regulation of um, uh, essentially microbiome, uh, regulating microbiome transfer as a uh, equivalent and strictness to an organ transplant, because uh, on one sense, it is good that we don't have a proliferation of poop milkshake uh, sellers on every corner. 
uh, in advance of uh, our knowledge. Uh, but on the other hand, it makes it diff di more difficult to uh, contemplate maybe shifting people's microbiomes because uh, I work with uh, movement disorders and Parkinson's disease and mm -hmm. um, I have a mood disorder. So both of those have uh, chicken or egg, but show uh, serious deficits in the microbiome. So, um, yeah, so, so, so I really do appreciate just, just, a very, uh, very good approach to protect what we have if we can't, uh, have maybe the flexibility we want in, uh, shifting it at this point. Did, did, did you want to, uh, maybe my question is to you. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of the coin, uh, being part of the field, do you, do you know what efforts there there are to uh, make it easier to shift the microbiome as well as protect it? Yeah, that, that's a great point, and uh, I have a couple of minutes to to answer it. Um, the 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 key here is that uh, we we are beginning to understand how to do that, right? And, and I think that will be the future, but we'll see like like five, 10 years away from, from seeing uh, a real therapeutics on, on that side. And, and the reason FDA regulates these uh, uh, microbiota transplants is because there are many unknowns, unknowns on the on these. We, we have some known unknowns that, that we can control, but there is some other um, traits that can be transferred through the microbiota that we don't know of. So, um, I think it's important to, uh, you know, boil down uh, to the particular members of the microbiota that can contribute, you know, to, a, uh, uh, as, as you were saying, you know, in, in the gut-brain axis that would bring, you know, responses to uh, mood disorders or, 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 or um, uh, conditions related to the gut-brain axis, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Uh, those are, there are some uh, recent studies that suggest that this could be the case. So I do think that in the future, we could have some um, uh, more defined approaches where we use a, not a single strain or just one particular type of bacterium, uh, but either a combination of strains that we know that would work well, or as I, as I like to see better, um, an engineered version of a strain that can, you know, trigger the specific responses that would be therapeutic for for different conditions and i think we're going to see that uh in the next uh five to ten years yeah thank you so much for answering all the questions um you had the hype stop at 5 45 so it's 5 46 so um i think you have to go <laughs> yeah thank you so much uh katarina and everyone here in the room i I really enjoyed these conversations and uh, you can always uh, follow up with me. Uh, there, my email is in the, in the slides that I provided and uh, here to the app of Clubhouse as well. Uh, feel, feel free to, to reach out anytime. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. And uh, if you're open to it, maybe we can, we can invite you back sometime, maybe in the late summer fall or so. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. It was a great pleasure having you and enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much. Really the pleasure is mine. Thank time. you so much. Thank you, Dr. Andreas. Take care. Right. Bye Take bye, care. Bye. Thanks, thank Katarina, you. for the room. Bye.
Yeah, thank you everyone Thanks. for coming, asking questions. And as I said, um, as Andres also mentioned, uh, you can follow up with questions directly or send them to me. And uh, we can also set up another follow up room, um, maybe in the fall when we have some availability again. And yeah, thanks uh, for coming. We have another room tomorrow at 9 a.m. EST, actually. Uh, it will be a really interesting room um, with Dr. Otti uh, from the UK, and he will talk about um, uh, how they created in the lab two uh, quantum time crystals. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Pedram here before, uh, the Google a senior scientist, uh, talking about the time crystal. And they are basically continuing that research. Uh, they, they managed to have two time crystals at the same time and looking at the dynamics, but he will also talk more about how you can melt a time crystal and maybe have a time crystal liquid um, <laughs> so it will be an amazing room but it's at 9 a.m est but we will record it for people and on the west coast is really really early um so um yeah it will be exciting and uh then we also have another room tomorrow uh with dr jill um uh no on friday i'm, I'm really sorry on friday Oh, I'm totally confusing it. So that room will be tomorrow at 11 a.m. EST. So it's not as early. So 11 a.m. EST with the time crystal room. And then at, on Friday at 9 a.m. EST will be uh, Dr. Jill, who will be talking about a multi-omic rejuvenation approach of human cells, which is a really interesting breakthrough in rejuvenation research. And then on Friday, uh, we have another room at 9 p.m. EST, and Dr. Atta created basically a simulation of a time machine to study uh, ancestor galaxy time life cycles. Uh, so basically to look back in time how um, galaxies looked and were uh, right in the beginning um, of uh, the time of universe so um yeah please um if you like discussions like these feel free to come back and thank you everyone for coming and asking questions and um, hear you all soon again thank you everyone I'll close the room and three two one bye everyone bye everyone